I don't know if I ever mentioned it, Manny, Amphibian, but when you use S-words, it makes me want to kill myself. Morbius the Vampire. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to New Byland, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. And I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning and luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Tell the rest of the class your favorite amphibian, your name, and what you're here to learn about. Manphibian? <laughs> there was only one correct answer there. <laughs> the only problem is there's no two Manny monster characters. So they want to shorten to Manny. Anyway, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Uh, my name is oh, Mac it the Noob. Be a body cop duo. I am not meaning to interrupt you. I just. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, I am Mac the Noob, and I'm here to learn about magic in the Marvel Universe. Well, with that in mind, Professor Z, what's our lesson for today? The Legion of Monsters. It's really our. Monsters wrap up, uh, and to be honest, this episode might be kind of a mess because there's a ton of overlap between these different characters that all deserve a bit talked about them, but definitely don't deserve a whole episode. I always like these episodes, but I always looking back be like, that was terribly organized, Professor Z. We will be going over today the Monster Metropolis, Sheikla, Queen of the Monster Metropolis, the Legion of Monsters, Manphibian, and Encantu the Living Mummy. Did not realize that Manphibian and Encantu were going to be my favorite parts of this, but <laughs> I yeah. love both of them. There will be a thing with Monster Metropolis and Sheikla, but we will get to it in a sec. This part is kind of a mess because they're definitely overlap, but I couldn't find a great biography of any of it, so there's bits and pieces. Sure. We will start with the Monster Metropolis, which is a pretty new idea, but, like, I love it. The Monster Metropolis is a city beneath the streets of Manhattan, populated entirely by creatures that many people would consider mythological or, again, monstrous. It's very straightforward in its mm -hmm. name. Uh, it tends to be the magical creatures, but doesn't necessarily have to be. You just have to be a freak i guess mm -hmm. also when you take into one of us, one of us. <laughs> when you take into account that the morlock tunnels which are uh a, the morlocks are a bunch of mutants that also all look freakish and monstrous that live in the tunnels underneath new york but is not the monster metropolis under so New they're York like the shallow monsters, and then you go further down. It's and gotta a, be just like deep chock monsters. full of monsters, it's all, monsters the way down. all the way down. <laughs> Even above ground. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh man. And then there's Monster Isle, which we're not really gonna talk about because it's basically the Monster Island from Godzilla. Mm -hmm. But like Thing tried to go live there for a while and stuff, so there's a whole different place of monsters. At least it's not a supermax kaiju prison. Oh, I right. Don't I don't need to be that, that much book. scarred. Uh, we're not going to talk about it too much because it is not Marvel and not appropriate for this podcast. But uh, I forgot that I gave you the first volume of Kaiju Max. It's a super cartoony uh, illustrated story about kaijus sent to a supermax prison. So it's like Godzilla meets Oz? Yeah, so yeah, the style is super cartoony and little kid looking. It's a legit hardcore prison drama. Rough. Involving giant kaiju. kaiju. Yeah. It's wild. It's Sounds awesome. It's very good. I did not keep my copy. <laughs> gotcha. It's a little rough. Loved it. Don't want it in my house. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Anyways, Monster Metropolis, which is comparatively delightful. <laughs> So much teeth. So according to this, before humans came to prominence on Earth, the world was populated by monsters. Uh, with Succubi as the leader and vampires challenging Succubi for the right to rule. This does not line up with, with anything. anything else we've learned about vampires. But, I mean, 
Or most of the history of the world. Mephisto has like eight different origins, so vampires can have the like three that we're at. There was war between the two that lasted for centuries and weakened by the non-stop fighting. The monsters go underground in the face of the rise of humanity. Eventually reaching something of a truce, many of the members of both sides come to live together in Monster Metropolis. I don't know if that's like, because that's supposed to be before the rise of man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it could be, like, one of the rises of men, because the Hyborian Age, another great cataclysm happens, whole collapse of civilization, could have monsters coming back up for a while. I don't know if it was just their bad luck that they chose to set up this city underneath what would become New York City. Because they used portals to get in and out, so it could or just be that's if, the area. Yeah, like, well, no one's going to this island, we'll set up our place underneath it, and it'll be... Oh, oh, no. no. Oh. There's even a statue. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Why are those people going into space and coming out? Oh, God, there's so many superpowers now. <laughs> uh, however, Monster Metropolis doesn't become a big thing until years and years and years and years later. After being murdered by Dakin, the son of Wolverine, Frank Castle is resurrected by Morbius the Living Vampire in the Legion of Monsters as Frankencastle the patchwork Frankenstein-like man that is also the Punisher. Also, I know this is my hot take, it's the only time in history the Punisher has been interesting, with maybe the Garth Ennis run, as an aside. I was going to say Cosmic Ghost Rider. I will grant you that one. I don't even think of him as the Punisher. I know he was. But... (laughs) Uh, anyways, they are trying to get him to help him against a group of samurai-like men led by the mysterious Hellsguard, who, from what I could tell, I just looked real quick, is a brain in a jar? Oh, okay. Is anyways, it- he's a he's a guy that was alive in the late 20th century, kill, or late 19th century, killed, his family killed by monsters, involved with uh, the Bloodstones. I'll try to have a little bit more about him on our Bloodstone episode. And recruited by a group of a Japanese paramilitary organization that decided they were tired of kaiju. There. <laughs> so they're starting to hunt down monsters, but under his influence, start going a little far. And send it into a prison. And it starts with kaiju. No, we're, we are done <laughs> talking about kaiju maps. <laughs> Come to General Nerdery if you really want to be, like... Scarred? Yes. I can't talk about this here without swearing. That's just really where we're at. <laughs> uh, but anyways, they start with, like, let's kill off some kaiju, which I'm already, like, not wild about it, but I get they got to protect Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, let's kill some vampires. And sure, more into that. And then let's kill some ugly people. And you're like, well, <laughs> well <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> there was a little bit of a leap here somewhere. <laughs> Uh, but they've decided that they uh, are going to kill off all monsters for not being of God, quote-unquote, and they're aiming for Monster Metropolis. At first, Frank refuses to help them out and disappears into the sewers. Encanto the Living Mummy tries to reason with him and shows him, you know, hey, help. <laughs> like, here's an armory, you should help us. Uh, however, Frank again refuses until he sees a Moloid child beaten to death. Moloids are little underground yellow dudes with big eyes that are the minions of uh, the Mole, Mole Man. Man. Mole Man sucks. The Moloids are legitimately great. <laughs> Is that where that wrestler dude lives? Gonna have to be more specific. Like they, Everyone thinks he has mental like a mental disorder, but and he like apparently incredibly But he oh, D man, D man. <laughs> no, he just lives with regular homeless people. Gotcha. Because I thought he lived underground too. So yes, cool, cool, cool. So okay, we're gonna revise. It goes D man and the regular homeless people <laughs> in the sewers, followed by the Morlock Lots. tunnels, followed by Moloids, then <laughs> Monster Metropolis, by Monster Metropolis, and then Hell. <laughs> and who knows how many Hydra bases and AIM hideouts. Oh my goodness. And they also use portals. I bet you some uh, Hellfire Club Oh, yeah, areas for sure. And New York just goes like 10 miles down, apparently. There's probably a Hellfire Club in Monster Metropolis, <laughs> let's be honest. It's good business. <laughs> 
Anyways, Frank just sees a Moloi child die and decides to uh, fight back. Fair. After a bunch of battles with Frank and the Legion of Monsters against Hellsguard, he will eventually take his revenge on Dakin in Tokyo, but is interrupted by Wolverine. He's eventually transformed back into normal human uh, into a normal human through the use of the Bloodstone that had originally belonged to Ulysses Bloodstone. Morbius, after all of this, becomes the de facto leader of Monster Metropolis and tries to institute law and order, creating the Legion of Monsters, or using the Legion of Monsters, as deputies. Which, I'm not going to lie, I kind of love as a concept. Mm -hmm. uh, when a monster from the city goes on a rampage above ground, Elsa Bloodstone, the monster hunter, tracks it back down to Monster Metropolis, where Morbius realizes it's infected with a supernatural virus. The virus spreads through Monster Metropolis, threatening to overwhelm the city and unleash the rampaging monsters onto the world above, unless Morbius and his allies can find the virus's origin and cure. After a visit with Dracula, Morbius and Elsa realize the, the virus was actually in Morbius's blood himself, so it's all Morbius's fault. He should have used more needles. He... He injects so much random stuff into his it's blood, he needs to check it for other alive. things in there, too. <laughs> there is not just that. I'm sure there is many strains of hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit, because, I mean, this is the storyline that we read for this one. But he's like, you know, in all my years as a vampire, I've never been bitten before. I'm like, yeah, but you've used a lot of needles, man. Like, <laughs> I like didn't freak out. He's like, that's a similar pain. <laughs> I just feel like it's probably come up. Also, the amount of Spider-Man blood in your system, who knows what happened to this virus? Oh, yeah, we're really lucky that that virus wasn't just, like, crawling around on eight legs by this point. <laughs> it has spider sense. Gross. Oh. Going into another one of his black depressions, he does come up with an idea that's not injecting himself with Spider-Man blood. It is to blow everything up, though. Yup. Probably so the best idea he's ever had, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elsa Bloodstone frees the imprisoned Dimensional Man, who the monster, uh, the Leash of Monsters had caught earlier, and has been stuck in the electrical system of Monster Metropolis. So good. Uh, and Dimensional Man's leeching powers suck up the entire virus and cause him to go mad. Morbius realizes that since he himself created the virus, or I guess incubated the virus? He was a carrier. Because his fake girlfriend made it. He was able to control those it affected, averting uh, the crisis and saving Monster Metropolis. So basically, virus goes in Dimensional Man, and Morbius controls the virus because it's like his baby. Guess what? It didn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, but now that it exists, like, somebody needs to use the fact that Morbius has a pet virus to make the character more interesting. Dimensional Man. Also, this series was just sweet. So, like, a pet virus who's made of Dimensional Man. There's so many teeth. Also, you needed to do something to Dimensional Man because you can't have another character running around looking that much like the spot when Across the Spider-Verse just Has came. actually made the spot matter for the first time in history? Yeah. So Dracula, as Lord of the Vampires, has a lot of power in Monster Metropolis, but decided that a lot of power was not enough power. Fair. And that he, in fact, needs more power. It's Dracula. So, he decides that he's going to win the hand of Sheikla in marriage, as she's the last known uh, sure. member of Succubi royalty. That makes sense. Despite all of the other Succubis we've met, including Satana, daughter of the Lord of Hell. But I guess she's not specifically Succubi royalty. I mean, he's been blown up enough, he probably just doesn't want to get caught in fire anymore. <laughs> you know what? No fire. <laughs> <We're done. laughs> He sends Deadpool to retrieve his future wife, who at that point is in, like, a glass coffin? What a sentence. <laughs> right? Uh, and bring her back to the monster metropolis where the nuptials will be held. Deadpool retrieves the glass coffin from a tomb, however, almost immediately breaks it while traveling through Greece. Sheikla emerges, and she knows that it's her fate to marry the Lord of the Vampires because she's kind of weak, having been in a coffin for centuries, and he's Dracula. Right. Powerful. Dumb, but powerful. I'm guessing this is after the bookshot has left. Oh yeah, this is Way like after. recently. That was cool. in the early, I like it, late 19th, early 20th century. 
However, Sheikala learns that Dracula had killed all of her older brothers, and she decides, maybe I don't want to marry this dickhead after all, and instead marries Deadpool. Fair. How? Because How if you're going to piss off Dracula, it's like, he's Dracula, so vampires supposed to look good, and you marry the ugliest guy you find just to spite Dracula. <laughs> uh, this creates a civil war in the monster <laughs> metropolis, and a battle erupts between everyone. Mm. <laughs> yeah. With the help of his team, the Thunderbolts, which at the time was Deadpool, Red Hulk, Agent Venom, Elektra, and the Johnny Cage Ghost Rider. Nice. Okay. As their murder team. Good murder team. A guy named the Necromancer, who's just a really powerful necromancer, who's friends with Deadpool <laughs> after he... Okay, we're not going to go into Necromancer too much, but... Necromancer, deciding he needs to save America, resurrects all the dead presidents, but messes up the spell so they all have superpowers and want to kill everyone so they can start over again. Deadpool is hired by S.H.I.E.L.D. to stop them. Brian oh. Posehn wrote this story. That's amazing. <laughs> I love Brian Posehn. <laughs> uh, also, Werewolf, a.k.a. Werewolf by Night, the ghost of Benjamin Franklin, and Bob, agent of Hydra. All help to shift the balance, and uh, the vampires are chased out. <laughs> Bob, agent of Hydra, is a guy that joined Hydra because they had a really good dental plan. Good for him. And ends up as Deadpool's minion more often than not. That's awesome. Also, no, not good for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, referenced in one of the opening Midnight Suns. Probably. People love using Bob. <laughs> Bob's awesome. Yeah. Uh... Monster Metropolis is later attacked by the interdimensional armies of the Empirical, a Doctor Strange villain with a really bad name, who, led by the Imperator, believed all magic was a cancer and used technolo technology to murder all magic users. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> because of the high quantity of magical beings in Monster Metropolis, it becomes a huge target. However, the city is protected by Sheikla, Deadpool, Brother Voodoo, Frankenstein's monster, and uh, a little bit of Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange is the one that ends up defeating Empirical. Also, the Necromancer, who dies. Cool. Okay. Now, we are going to skip over to Sheikla. So some of this, we will just talk about everything we just covered, but we'll kind of fast forward through that part. Sheikla predates humans, and her family rules over the monster world. Vampires seek to overthrow them by starting a war the last for century. They succeed, yada, yada, yada. Um, I don't know how the vampires were that powerful before man. I have questions, and I've not read this story. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they don't even go into detail on that part. Just like, oh, yeah, I used to rule. It was great. Sure, buddy. <laughs> After their family is overwhelmed and their kingdom has fallen, Sheikla's father, distraught over the seeming deaths of her brother Amjad and Bakir, decides to seal her away in a sarcophagus until the wars ran its course or until she was to be wed. We've seen how that goes. She stays in that coffin until Deadpool pulls her out. What a first thing to see. <laughs> <laughs> they get into a fight in the Minotaur, uh, and her and her... Your Deadpool gets into a fight with the Minotaur, the coffin is shattered, and Sheikla is awakened along with her pet dragon, Bug. She has a pet dragon? Named Bug. Okay. Sheikla repays Deadpool's services by attempting to absorb his life force by kissing him, but it doesn't work because Deadpool has a healing factor. Sheikla then follows Deadpool out of Greece, hope, uh, hops onto a train of Paris, but they're intercepted by Blade, who's trying to convince Deadpool that Sheikla was a monster and that Deadpool should give her up. They fight, and Sheikla transforms into her monster form and helps Deadpool defeat Blade since they had become fond of each other. Uh, after Deadpool arranges transportation across the Atlantic, thanks to Bob, agent of Hydra, the pair decide to see Paris and visit the catacombs. Sheikla saves Deadpool from being possessed by a Templar ghost, and she admits to having feelings for him. Deadpool pushes away her advances because uh, every relationship he's ever been in has been bad. I'm not sure if this is one of the times that he was aware that it's his fault they've all been bad, but... It's his fault they've all yeah, been bad. Yeah, literally every the single time. <laughs> they are captured by Hydra on their way out of the catacombs, who were hoping to exploit Sheikla's power. However, uh, they escape the Hydra vessel and are immediately captured by AIM instead. Sheikla proves herself by fighting and defeating AIM's agents and a large robot, but then they're captured by 
Modok. Deadpool defeats Modok and it saves Sheikla from being abducted. Sheikla and Deadpool return to New York and they get married in a ceremony officiated by Nightcrawler. Sheikla uses the a vast amount of her time in the present to catch up with the culture of the world while still ruling over Monster Metropolis. He's very Catholic. I'm not sure why Nightcrawler was okay with this. I, you know what, I'm going to roll with it. He's probably was just so happy that, like, Deadpool wanted an official wedding. He's like, yes, I'll do it now. <laughs> Whatever gets you out of my hair, dude. Yeah. Uh, Sheikla, however, starts treating Wade with increasing amounts of disdain because they spend a lot of time apart, which makes her cheat on him repeatedly, including with Jack Russell, the werewolf by night. Deadpool obviously preferred the surface world to the uh, monster metropolis, which made Sheikla pissed off. Eventually, he's like, I have to go down so far. <laughs> 16 different levels. Uh, she eventually decides that Monster Kind has cowered underground for too long. After her subject, Farkas, a centuries-old senile monster, was killed by bystanders after wandering out of Monster Metropolis, Sheikla uses the Scepter of the Manticore to mobilize armies from her kingdom and other places with the intention of annexing Manhattan entirely to Monster Metropolis. Deadpool comes up with a plan to stop Sheikla by retrieving Dracula from his slumber and having him control the vampires among Sheikla's army to fight back, starting another civil war. Dracula agrees, but as soon as he gets near Sheikla, he proposes marriage and they're reunited, which makes her, I guess, break off her marriage with Deadpool. Like, I don't think they go through divorce court. She's just like, nope, marry Dracula now. Bye. <laughs> However, in addition to a revolt and rejection of monarchy, having been incited on the citizens of Monster Metropolis, Sheikla admits to uh, finding out that she doesn't like monarchy herself and doesn't like ruling her subjects by force. She abdicates the throne in order to pursue her own interests and leaves her people to rule themselves. Dracula joins her, doing to have been in retirement before Deadpool dragged him into the conflict. Now, Deadpool will later become king of Monster Metropolis... And I'm not sure how that happens after everything that came there. I will, but I know, again, it's an Elsa Bloodstone story, so I will try to have more on that by next time. This brings us to the Legion of Monsters. Now, the Legion of Monsters, up until the series that we read, which came out in, like, 2010, like, it was recent pretty mm -hmm. recent, only ever had a very, very short storyline not even a full storyline, a single appearance in Marvel Premiere 28 in February of 1976. Oh wow. But they used it as a banner name for a couple of different monster books. Okay. Of like, all right, we'll have some amphibian, and we'll have some zombie, and we'll have some what, and they just put Legion of Monsters on the top. So it's been an important name, even if it's not been a long-running thing by yeah. itself. Like, there's no big team on it. The original Legion of Monsters, which was Morbius the Living Vampire, Werewolf by Night, uh, Ghost Rider, and the Man-Thing. Well, not Ghost Rider. He's involved, but he's not part of the original team. Were united after they all start, appear, uh, start investigating the appearance of a being called the Starseed. The Starseed was a benevolent, I guess, alien creature, whatever who was hoping to help them overcome their hunger and their curses and turn them back into normal people. However, Morbius and Werewolf by Night are overcome by their hunger and attack it. Ghost Rider tries to stop them, uh, and the Starseed dies because it's unable to overcome its fear of the Man-Thing and is burned to death. The dying Starseed does attempt to cure the Legion of their monstrous forms, but is too weak and dies. <laughs> so depressing. I'm here to help you. Oh, God. Tired of fighting and disappointed in themselves, the team, I guess if we're going to call them that, splits up and never acknowledge being a team in the first place. This never happened. <laughs> we were never here. Guys, Ted screwed this up, but we can't really blame Ted. <laughs> yeah, Ted has nothing to do with it. Like, don't be scared near Ted. This is rule one. Yeah. The next time we see the Legion of Monsters, they've been formed by Morbius the Living Vampire, and they are Werewolf by Night, Man-Thing, Encantu the Living Mummy, and the Man-Phibian. They come together to protect monsters from the Hunter of Monster Special Forces, which is those samurai guys led by Hellsguard that I talked about a moment mm. ago. Right, okay. 
Uh, we are going to just kind of skip over that because we've already talked about it. And then the Legion of Monsters will, you know, become the Guardians of Monster Metropolis. And then the next time we see them after that, in their, I guess, final appearance that I can find anything about, they help the Red Hulk, who is Thunderbolt Ross, so the general who's usually trying to hunt down the Hulk, who gets turned into a Hulk himself, because comic books. But he's red. Uh, they help the Red Hulk overcome panicked monsters at a time when the Red Hulk had journeyed to the Monster Metropolis. With the help of Doctor Strange, the Red Hulk and the Legion of Monsters discover that a spirit has been bothering the Red Hulk, and that spirit is the insane evil side of Doc Samson, a.k.a. the Hulk's psychiatrist who also has Hulk-like powers. <laughs> but who also is a Hulk. <laughs> the insane spirit of the evil side of Doc Samson is referred to as Dark Samson. Interesting. Dude, you've read Immortal Hulk. You know weird I, stuff. I know, but still, <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right. All right, Dark, Dark Samson spirit. I guess I'm here for it. Using a ghost entrapment device, the Red Hulk and the Legion of Monsters are able to destroy Dark Samson's spirit by ripping the spirit in half. The Red Hulk and the Legion of Monsters do a toast in honor of Doc Samson after that, which is weird because I think Red Hulk's the only one who would have known him. Look, Morbius is obviously not getting a lot of therapy based off his life choices. I can see Werewolf getting some. So, like, it's not, it's not like a one-to-one -one comparison, but, like, Dark Samson getting killed by being ripped in half. How do you rip a ghost in half? Just that concept in my mind makes me think of, like, ripping a Stretch Armstrong in half. <laughs> Gross. So kind of, yeah. And then you know, the inside of yeah, they're always gross. All right, I'm gonna give you guys a choice. Do you want Manphibian next or Encanto the Living Mummy? That's a hard choice. Mm, that is hard. Manphibian. Manny, the unexpected favorite appearance out of this new series. Manphibian, who is the creature from the Black Lagoon, but not for uh, copyright reasons, I have to assume. Fair. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's the one that's not in the public domain. We have Dracula. We got a werewolf. They had to keep going. They have the mummy. They mm -hmm. have, yeah, zombies. Manny is not actually a magical creature, but is an alien from an unknown world who came here over a thousand years ago. I guess he could be a magical alien. We have seen those, but it's never really come up. Right. He just tends to be involved in the magical side of things. Uh, side note, uh, magical aliens are not used nearly enough for my liking. They're so cool every time. I like time. magical aliens. Fair. Now, there is a philosophy among his species that sounds exhausting. Uh, I am going to quote the Wikipedia article here. Amphibians alien species did not suffer from the delusional concept of fate. They did not reinvent such calamities in their own minds as a call to a righteous and vital missions like a hunt for revenge. They realized the true motive for such actions was to share their own pain with the world. And then they proceed to ignore that in about a solid half of Manphibian stories. Because a random member of his species murders Manphibian's mate and flees. Manphibian attempts to get help to stop the guy, you know, and is denied because blah, 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 something, blah, 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 no revenge, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. This dude sounds like a serial killer, though, so maybe we should, like... At least apprehend It's not yeah. about revenge. It's about stop murdering people. <laughs> Anyways, Manphibian pursues him across several star systems in the hope of exacting revenge. He eventually chases him to planet Earth, where both aliens find themselves trapped underground for a millennium. Years pass, and an industrialist named Aaron Fox builds an oil refinery over top the ground where Manphibian has been buried. Persistent drilling in shaft number 27, and they specifically name shaft number 27 several times, so I guess it's important. That's where it is. Mm -hmm. Awakens the two aliens, and they climb their way to the surface. The murder alien, they never really give him a name, continues to satisfy his murderous ways and attacks Beth Fox, Aaron Fox's wife, by dragging her underwater. 
Manphibian attempts to stop him and rescues Beth, but the incident earns him the attention of Aaron Fox. Fox mobilizes an attack helicopter and fires missiles at the Manphibian in, I guess, eye for an eye, even though he's... Look, he's an oil baron. I'm not expecting good things from this man. The missiles destroy Shaft 27, but Manphibian's able to escape. The alien who murdered his mate is still at large, and Manphibian spends the next several years tracking him down across the Earth in search of him. However, this storyline is never finished, and we never find out if he successfully stops him. We do find out, however, that Manphibian and his mate had multiple offsprings of up to a thousand that were simultaneously trapped on Earth the same time that he was. Whoa. I'm going to double-check that number. I saw it in one place, but I'm pretty sure that was... One of them warped to a different dimension is named Lagan. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> now I'm not seeing the 1,000, so now I'm doubting myself. I mean, he looks like a frog, so it could just be a tadpole thing. Yeah, anyways. At some point, Mamphibian is recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. in order to be a part of Nick Fury's Howling Commandos, which is a group of various monsters, including, in this version, Warwolf and Groot, before he was all I am Groot. As well as uh, Gorilla Man, who is a man that was transformed into a gorilla and is an absolute delight. Uh, and he joins up with the Howling Commandos when they launch their assaults on the forces of Merlin, who I guess is in one of his many evil faces. He's always in an evil face. Next time we see Manphibian, he's joined the Legion of Monsters and is doing the various Legion of Monster things that we have now covered twice. Manfabian is later kidnapped by Mojo, one of the X-Men villains that lives in an alternate reality where he controls all of it and controls the masses by kidnapping people and putting them through murderous reality TV. Manfibian, Blade, Doctor Strange, Ghost Rider, Man-Thing, and Satana are brainwashed into being the Avengers of the Supernatural and attacking the Avengers Unity Division, which is like half Avengers, half X-Men, in name of magic. It didn't really make sense, but they were being mind-controlled for it. Fair. Okay. Manphibian resurfaces and joins a different version of the S.H.I.E.L.D. Howling Commandos. This team is uh, comprised of the Warwolf again, although a different Warwolf, I believe. Vampire by Night, who is, we've talked about her, she is the niece of Werewolf by Night. And Encantu the Living Mummy again. As a member, Manphibian participates in a mission to Afghanistan to stop the threat of a terrorist organization known as the Lords of Living Lightning. Later on, Manphibian will join Deadpool and his Mercs for Money, which was his attempt to... <laughs> he tried to recreate Hero for Hire, but Luke Cage and Iron Fist sued him out of existence, so it became Good. Mercs for Money. Mercs for Money. <laughs> I love Deadpool. This brings us to our last character for today, Encantu. The Living Mummy, who is not as problematic as I expected him to be. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying he's great, but like... I think he was fine. No, but you know what I mean. We're like, we're going to talk about ancient Egypt and a character made in... What um, could go wrong? Let's see. He first appeared in... 1973. So a lot of things could go wrong. The story of the Living Mummy begins 3,000 years ago in ancient Egypt, which I don't... I'm... It means that it's after Egypt's golden age, and I'm not sure if that's on purpose or if they just picked a long time ago. What's a long-sounding number, boys? 3,000? Let's go with 3,000. Like, it's... I mean, they still wouldn't be conquered for, like, another 500 years, but it's well after Egypt was doing the, like, tops of their Egypt thing. We have to remember, Egyptian society, as we think of it, lasted, like, 3,000 years. Wild. Mm -hmm. During the reign of Pharaoh Aramset, uh, Egypt enslaves hundreds of sub-Saharan Africans belonging to uh, the Swahili tribe, among them the Swahili, Swahili chieftain Inkantu. Inkantu is the son of the chief T'Chambi. By the age of 21, Inkantu had endured the rite of passage known as the Test of the Lion. The test... Quick quiz. What is the Test of the Lion? I have no idea. Uh, I'm going to guess that it's whatever we see happening to Craven in the movie trailer. It is murdering a lion. The test of the lion is to kill a lion. It's a very straightforward test. I like it. Uh, By single-handedly killing a lion, he proves himself worthy of becoming a warrior of the tribe. 
which means that that tribe is really hardcore. Yeah. Unless they're just tracking down a bunch of baby lions, being like, it counts. <laughs> Tachambi dies in his sleep seven months later, and Encantu succeeds him as chieftain. Months later again, the armies of Aram Set raid the Swahili village and capture hundreds of natives, pressing them into bondage. Being the strongest and hardiest among the Swahili, Encantu was, uh, got the shortest end of the stick. He's kept in chains and forced to endure great hardship and labor. Aram Set tries his hardest to break Encantu's spirit, but the chieftain is, you know, the chieftain and a pretty cool guy who killed a lion by himself, so it doesn't work. As, quote, establishing him as a veritable Moses to his people. Is it because Moses faced a lion? And Egypt. Yeah. Let my people go. go, kind of. It doesn't actually line up other than Egypt and oppressed people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the story is just as real as the other one, but you know. <laughs> uh, during this time, he manages to piss off the necromancer, Raxis. Little is known what happened to make him piss it off, Raxis, but they become bitter enemies that will last for centuries. Bro, your necromancy sucks. <laughs> you should meet a necromancer in the future who does presidents. <laughs> be glad you didn't bring your mom back. She'd still be disappointed in you. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I watched this. I can't remember what it was. It was a... Uh, I can't remember who did it, but it was a video of when the necromancer makes things awkward. And it's a short video about... Um, a necromancer and a rogue and like the Diablo four style, the necromancer mm -hmm. accidentally revives the rogue's dad. Who's disappointed in his life choices. <laughs> and it ends with him being like, I'm going to go see if his mom's around here. He'd probably enjoy that. <laughs> Anyways, every night Nikantu would gather his tribe together and raise them from their pain and despair with words of hope and the promise of escape. Basically, we're going to have a revolt. He leads a bloody revolt against the armies of Aramset and personally slaves the pharaoh with a thrust from his spear. Yeah. Yeah, his life is hardcore, apparently. That's like, awesome. we did not know about this because mostly in everything we read, he just goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, guys. We're going to kill everybody. Just give it a few days. <laughs> <laughs> he enters the temple of Aramset where he confronts Nephris, the royal wizard. Nephris is prepared for Nincantu. The Wikipedia was like he's prepared for Nkantu's treachery. It's not treachery. It's overthrowing... A dictator. A slave state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Nephris splashes him with a chemical agent, causing immediate paralysis of Nkantu's limbs. He brings him down to a private dungeon where he binds him with linen and injects him with a special fluid. Yeah. The fluid makes him... <laughs> I was trying not to say it. <laughs> Fair. The fluid grants Encantu immortality, but at the price of his mobility. Nephra seals him inside of a sarcophagus and promises that he would suffer as a living mummy for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. Nephris then immediately dies because a great earthquake strikes and buries them both. Nice. Nephris buried dead and Encantu buried alive because he has an immortality serum. Later things will treat him as an actual mummy, mummy, mummy. but he's the living mummy. Mm. Yeah, either way. Um, despite Nephris dying, things don't go great for Encantu, who slowly grows insane as he spends the next 3,000 years buried under the rocks. No fair. Eventually, sometime in the 20th century, the fluid that keeps the mummy immobile begins to wear off, and Encantu claws his way to freedom. Absolutely insane. We really have to reinforce this out of his mind. <laughs> I can't imagine just sitting still for 3,000 years because some weird old guy splashed some juice on my face when I came into his room. <laughs> I don't know if I like juice better. <laughs> he begins terrorizing the streets of Cairo until he comes upon the home of archaeologist Dr. Alexi Scarab. Oh, the mummy movies. I'm so mad that his last name is Scarab. Scarab. I know they changed it to a K, but that doesn't actually help. Not really. That'd be like if my name was Zach Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about Scarab that seems familiar to Encantu, but it wouldn't be for some time before he would realize that Scarab is actually the descendant of the evil wizard Nephris. So he's got a bit of a nut against Scarab. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Horrified that a, a mummy man, 
is, you know, in his house and attacking, <laughs> Scarab opens fire on the living mummy, but this only actually pisses off Encantu, who, again, is immortal. But Encantu is hurt by bullets, and he races out into the streets, going on a rampage. He's chased by the police, who continue to shoot him with bullets, which, again, hurts really bad. He still <laughs> feels the bullets, it just... Ain't gonna do it doesn't anything. do anything, yeah. He fights back by tearing down a telephone pole, but the resulting backlash of electricity ravages his body, seemingly killing him. It doesn't because immortality. Dr. Scarab takes responsibility for the mummy's remains and sells them to Dr. Carol Harder, the curator of a museum in New York City. Quick question that just occurred to me now. How did Scarab convince the Egyptian police that, like, hey, you should just give me that mummy? You know that body? That's mine. How about... I'll I'll that it. one's mine. You guys get the all the other ones. Like, well, he's a doctor. You guys don't need this especially one, right? in Egypt that is so hardcore about like keeping uh, keeping all of their ancient relics, and they should be. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, because England came in and stole a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep it in country, guys. Victorians spent a long time eating every mummy that they could. I'm not kidding. They ate mummies. Yup. So Egypt is like, we're not. And then, no. White people are no longer allowed our mummies. <laughs> like, Go fair. Anyways, at the museum in New York City, the living mummy revives and leaves to begin to wander the streets of Manhattan. Fair. He's transported away by a group known as the Elementals, uh, who are an extraplanar group that have been around Earth since before Atlantis was even built, and tend to have bad plans for the rest of humanity who send him back to Egypt where he just was to recover the Ruby scarab for them, which brought him into conflict with the thieves, Richard, the asp Harper and miles Oldam. In addition to re-encountering Alexi scarab, uh, who had bought it from <sighs> Every the thieves, time I hear that name, it's not, it doesn't get it's, better. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, who had, so Alexi Scarab, who had bought the gem from the thieves, he breaks free of the Elemental's control and then assists Dr. Scarab and a person named Zephyr in banishing the Elementals. Zephyr is one of the Elementals. Uh, the Elementals had taken the city of Cairo hostage under a force field. His early stories sound really all over the map. Mm -hmm. At some point, he will befriend Ulysses Bloodstone. Encantu will later join forces with The Thing and his blind girlfriend Alicia Masters when the two face off against General Hassan, another descendant of Nephris. In fairness, Nephris doesn't need to have that many kids survive the earthquake to have quite a few descendants 3,000 years later. Just it's by just, like. It's so deluded at this point. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> the mummy will later join the Shock Troop, the group organized by Dr. Druid. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and will assist Quasar, the cosmic superhero, against a villain named Quagmire. He later gets into Giggity. a fight with the resurrected Raxus and has to team up with Elsa Bloodstone, the daughter of Ulysses Bloodstone. After defeating the villain, Encantu spends some time guarding the mystic Orb of Ra. The mummy then forced to join Nick Fury's Howling Commandos, which he viewed as a form of slavery. Fair. During the Civil War, the superhuman Civil War. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, the Living Mummy is incarcerated after failing to register in compliance with the Superhuman Registration Act. He's old. <laughs> he's also time. not an American citizen. I'm not sure what he's doing in America at this point. That's so stupid. And he's a mummy. He's like, what do you want from me? <laughs> I just can't die. No one's really sure what he's up to after that for a while, but they know that he broke out when Captain America's Secret Adventures did a massive prison breakout where uh, they broke out all of the people who refused to register under, under the Superhuman Registration Act. Nice. Afterwards, the living mummy is approached by Anubis, Lord of the Underworld. Knowing that Encantu sought to die... Anubis agrees to give him a peaceful death, but only after a period of personal servitude. Anubis required the power that comes from human souls to maintain his strength, and assigns Encantu the task of bringing him souls, even if doing so meant murder. 
The living mummy agrees to serve, but vows that he'll only take the souls of evil men. Dimps <laughs> is like, I don't care, just give me souls. <laughs> sure, dude. They all taste Whatever the works. Yeah. Afterwards, he joins the Legion of Monsters. He then joins a version of the all-new Howling Commandos, uh, led by Phil Coulson, to combat, combat Dormammu's mindless plague. The last time we see Encantu the Living Mummy is when he joins Dracula's Frightful Four, who had uh, been gathered together to kill Deadpool to bring Sheikla to Drad Dracula. As a reminder, this new Frightful Four is... Encantu the Living Mummy, Frankenstein's Monster, Zax, and Marcus. Which, we've not gotten to Marcus, so I'm going to add this, even though he was originally not part of the plan, but we had promised we would talk about... Marcus. Marcus is the best. Marcus is a centaur from ancient Greece that was bitten by a werewolf and then bound to a venom symbiote, culminating in him gaining their myriad of abilities. Oh my goodness. Dracula recruits Marcus as a secret weapon who he describes as a perfect soldier with no weaknesses. Yeah? After growing impatient while waiting for Deadpool to deliver Sheikla, Dracula hires four mercenaries. Uh, Frankenstein's monster and Contour the Living Mummy, who I guess is a mercenary now, Zax, who is a lightning monster, and Marcus to form the new Frightful Four to go kill Deadpool. I like how Frankenstein's a mercenary. He's like, yeah, <laughs> just pay me. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> I think he's like, I'll hire you as mercenaries. And most of them are like, we're just here, man. Like, <laughs> Where's at the bar? You sure. showed up. The gang of monsters track Deadpool and Sheikla to St. Patrick's Cathedral, where they're hiding from a horde of costumed vampires. They attack him, but they escape through a stained glass window as Deadpool booby-trapped the door with C4. However, the team recovers from the explosion and attack again. During the night, Encanto changed Deadpool's gun into a snake, which he used to strangle Marcus with. Marcus threw Deadpool at Frankenstein, who used a motorcycle to bat him through a nearby window. But no matter what they threw at him, Deadpool kept getting back up. Eventually, the clock strikes midnight, and Marcus stopped to ask Deadpool for a timeout to balance his blood sugar. Because one of Marcus's quote-unquote abilities, if you check his... <laughs> diabetes? Is that he has diabetes. He is the centaur werewolf cyborg with diabetes. He's a perfect soldier, but he got strangled by a snake, and he needs to have a snack at midnight. Uh, not wanting to kill a woozy opponent, Deadpool agrees and gives Marcus the time he needs. Aww. While he tweets about the break he was taking from the fight. <laughs> of course he does. As they return to the fight, Deadpool questions Marcus about the long-term effects of his diabetes, which Marcus reveals he does worry about losing his hooves to the disease. Deadpool then chops off his hooves and knocks him into a somewhat into some nearby wet cement before finally flattening him with a steamroller. That's so rude! <laughs> I really worry about losing my feet. Cool! <laughs> Marcus is later revealed to have survived and uh, is living in Monster Metropolis with his amputated legs having been replaced by robot prosthesis. That's awesome. <laughs> so yes. he is a cyborg centaur. werewolf centaur symbiote. with a venom symbiote. And diabetes. Literally, under attributes and powers in the Marvel database. Centaur physiology. Marcus was born as a centaur. His horse legs allow him to run fast as well as give him hooves that can kick and trample enemies with great force. Werewolf physiology. His werewolf form enhances his strength, speed, agility, and senses while also granting him claws to try his opponents with. Symbiote. He bonded, the symbiote he's bonded with can form blades, spikes, prehensile tentacles, and further boosts his uh, strength and uh, speed and agility. Cyborg to be added. Under abilities, swordsman, weaknesses, diabetes. <laughs> Marcus has diabetes, so he must balance his blood sugar every couple of hours. Marcus is a beast. <laughs> I want him in Marvel Snap so, so bad. badly. He has to be a destroy card. He's, yes. <laughs> yeah. Partially just so that I would run him all the time. Playing so much he destroy. destroys the top left card in every zone. <laughs> He's a zero negative one. Or a five negative one. <laughs> That's, I guess, the Monster Metropolis and Legion of Monsters and Marcus. Quick break? Yeah, quick break. And then we will talk about the Legion of Monsters. As we have now read through 
a friggin' half dozen of these monster miniseries stuff. I get why they can't do a Legion of Monsters ongoing, but god, I would like one. Or at least, like, a the monster cops. Just, like, a one-off here and there to see more monster cop shenanigans. Yeah, I actually um, thought the monster cops had some possibilities. Yeah. Same. I thought monster cops was a great idea. Just watching them break into the guy's apartment. <laughs> so good. It'd be kind of like the comic book version of, uh, God, what's the show? Wellington Paranormal, which yes. I dug, so. Oh, I've not seen it. I've wanted to, though. And you could throw in tons of fun monsters that are just on the beat. Mm-hmm. It'd be so fun. Elsa Bledsoe, just FBI. Yeah, up. like, I mean, okay, so you have to have Morbius, because apparently he's in every version, and Werewolf, Damien, uh... Manphibian. Manphibian. Maybe Man-Thing, because I, I do love yeah. the idea of the Manny, uh... Yeah. Team-up. Frankenstein can show up on occasion. You can show lots of cool characters in there. Just, that's just, like, a thing they do every once in a while, just, hey, look, the cop stuff in Monster Metropolis still going good. Right, there's a lot of characters we've talked about that would fit in well. Even if they weren't part of the team all the time, you could bring them in for this or that. You could also use, what was that guy's name that ate all of the disease? The Dimensional Man? Dimensional Man. He's just like a mascot for the city now. Just, <laughs> you know, just does whatever. You could have him in the background just playing fetch with the kids or something. I just, you know. yeah, I just think it's an underused. I mean, I, I love all of these characters combining together. And I didn't know how many of these characters I legitimately like. Mm -hmm. I also did not know how boring Jack Russell is. But, like, we've learned. I'm still just, like, brain melting over how many layers there are underneath. <laughs> so many. <laughs> I'm surprised when an earthquake happens there, it's really different. <laughs> it's a problem. Everybody has a problem. Okay, that said, this series, Legion of Monsters, I think volume three. What about a Morlock uh, Monster Metropolis War? Interesting, interesting. Some of the Morlocks are messed up. That'd be interesting. Also, like, Caliban, who's a Morlock, has been... Powered up by apocalypse at times, so oh man, there's goodness. some stuff there. That's intense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> control, they're fighting over control of the underworld. Hell yeah. No, no, I know how you do it too. Dracula seizes control of Monster Metropolis mm. and goes after Apocalypse, who for whatever reason is hanging out with the Morlocks or manipulating the Morlocks, war. and those two decide to go back to war in like revenge of the ancient feud. That's a fun one. I like that. Yeah. Get Clayton Henry to illustrate it again, because he was a lot of fun in that book. <laughs> yeah. But this book... I liked oh, this book. This was, yeah. This is not my favorite of these, like, random little team-ups. I wanted more of Elsa Bloodstone and the Legion on... Excuse me. On motorcycles, because fun. I just thought that was cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As we've talked about, I did not expect to like Manphibian as much as I do. He's a cutie. You use that word for literally every person you talk to. If I like them. <laughs> Sometimes if I don't, but you can usually tell. <laughs> As we were going through, I was like, oh my god. Have they finally made me like Morbius the Living Vampire? Because in his first appearance or two, I was like, all right, man, like you're doing, I mean, you're not my favorite, but you're doing a pretty good, good job. job. Yeah. And then, and then he decided to. I mean, I'm not going to accuse him of Morbiusing all over the place because he did not inject a single thing. But also... He dunked on our boy Manny, and then he tried to blow everybody up because he's a depressed <laughs> Also, You're going to have to bleep Mac a lot this fine. episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> but also, like... He might not have been injecting anything, but it was still something living in his bloodstream. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it's still Morbius' blood at fault. So, okay, I guess, yeah, he's still Morbiusing all over it. And, like, even though he didn't make the virus from... It was, like, his fake succubus girlfriend. Like, he knew where the... Like, he's acting like, how do I fight this virus? What is it? He knew from the first part when he saw, oh, saw it open that monster. He's like, oh. And he just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know what this is. And then they had to go to the to Dracula, who was really chill, really chill. Yeah, because he was ruining Morbius's day. He just chill and he says Elsa show. Up, he's he's like, like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what am I being accused of? For once, I have receipts on this one. Yeah. All right, we're gonna go to town. You're gonna hear some. <laughs> also, watching Elsa fight tons of vampires and her hair whips one in the face, I was like, interesting. 
<laughs> uh, love that she poured holy water all, all over herself. herself. <laughs> and didn't she like crack open some garlic first? Too, yep, and, and she like... was like lining her blades with it. And mm. yeah, no. Elsa knows how to fight some vampires. Way, way back when we did the... Was uh, it was a Doctor Strange one where the Midnight Suns were brought together and it was like a new version of the Midnight Suns uh, led oh. by Wong. Yes. And yeah. that had Elsa and... Uh, Blade, who was making fun of her because he's a vampire hunter and you don't see nearly as many vampires as you do monsters, but like based off that about she might be better at his job than he is. Yeah, I I think, yeah, because she has none <laughs> of his downsides. I don't want to say that about Blade because I love Blade, but like, dang, she came to play there. <laughs> she took out a whole castle of vampires. <laughs> And it was fine. The cop of Dracula was like, we can dance if you want. Like, I'm, I'm here to play. <laughs> this is one of the times I liked Jack Russell best. He's still most interesting when someone else is involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's more of a support character in anything he does, because he doesn't have enough personality or <laughs> je ne sais quoi sure, to but be on he, his own. He works as the, Apparently like, he's pretty. Well, I mean, we always kind of knew that. He's pretty California boy has come up before on him. But, like, he works best, I think, as pretty California boy with a dark side, thanks to Werewolf, just, who's just going to flirt with a pretty girl. Like, that makes perfect sense to me that Jack would be like that. Also, just strip Nick. He's like, eh, I gotta go. <laughs> She's like, I know how good I look. Like, <laughs> She's like, huh. <laughs> Speaking of Werewolf, more Marcus. The centaur. You just need Marcus. <laughs> I just the... need Marcus in the Legion of Monsters. He should have I mean, bar. We could also call it the Midnight Suns. Like, you could really... I need Marcus in the Midnight Suns game. Yeah. Keep dreaming. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't even know how that one would work. <laughs> Me either. Agatha summons Marcus and you have to just go with it? Like... We know this game's not making us much money, so at this point, what do we'll we do care? Yep. Here's man thing. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think there was anything else. Yeah. Morbius Morbin all over the place. I feel like this series needed, like, an extra two or three issues. It was condensed to... Just to... I mean, it was four issues. I generally like five to eight a little better. Just because you have a bit more time to get stuff... Set up. ...done. Some of the stuff happened really quick. Just the chemistry between everybody seemed to change. Elsa's chemistry with everyone else seemed to change really quick for in how... In between two pages. Yeah. I counted, because I was like... She's like, I think you're all terrible and should die. And then a page later, El uh, Manny's calling her Ellie, and she's calling him Manny, and she's just about to sleep with... Jack. Jack. And suddenly, like ready to defend Monster Metropolis? Like, that shift happened quick. That was the thing that stood out to me. I was like, oh, that's... Are you the same character? Where did, and that's where I, did you come from? And I think there was supposed to be some indication that some time had passed, but we need more. And that's why I think it should be a little longer, because then we could have had an issue of them, like... Fighting something. Butting right? heads before having that balance. I mean, she goes to war with Dracula just because... Jack is pretty. Mm -hmm. I don't think it takes much for her to go to war with Dracula, but... I mean, it kind of is her job, regardless. <laughs> she's she's going to end up doing it anyways. I like the art style. It was pretty. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to... I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. It's, uh, it's more stylized, but it reminds me of some of the art in one of my favorite uh, Hellblazer runs, so... It's got a kind of messy style to it that works really well for monster books. Mm. I kind of wish there... if I, Are there comics for that event that happened with Morbius with his fake succubus girlfriend? No. Because that would be fun. I'd like to see what happened there. Because the way Dracula described it, I was like, black magic vampire succubus creates a weird like disease. I'm down. That was a thing I noticed. I'm pretty sure they mentioned that that happened in 1973. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Marvel sliding timescale, that does not work. At all. Because the sliding timescale means all of Marvel history's happened in the last 10 to 15 years. Or at least from Fantastic Four 1 onward. Which means Morbius at most has only been a living vampire for 10 years. 
Mm. Yeah. I I mean, more than anything, I think uh, the the history that you quoted us about Monster Metropolis and the age of monsters and everything else shows that when it comes to monsters, the timeline just doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't in any comic book, really. DC actually tried to do, like, a side story thing. And it had been implied that they were going to do it, like, as their main story thing before Cooler Heads prevailed. Of basically the timeline starts in, you know, 1937 or whenever. And just the characters don't age thanks to something, something magical properties mm, of belief mm-hmm. or something. And just no one notices or something like that. But like, even that didn't work because the non superpowered people who aren't part of the. It was weird. Hmm. It worked as a kind of fun, like, alternate world, but it was not... Interesting, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that called it out, so I have no one to blame but myself here, but really, the rule <laughs> is, don't think about the timeline. Because, from what I've read, and I've not been in the scene as long as either of you, the, the earliest comics we've read, it to me, came across as they were not worried about timeline. They're just getting comics out, and it wasn't until recently, like, oh, we should make that, and it doesn't work because that's not what they had built well, before. Originally, comics passed largely in real time, but then time Stuff passed, yeah. and they kept going, and Spider Man could only get so much older. And uh, yeah. there's some really great stories like Spider Man Life Story, and I think they did a Fantastic Four one as well, which did basically. All of the stories happen as roughly as they do, so you know. Uh, but it, Spider-Man ages in real time, so he gets bitten in 1962. In the 90s, the Clone Saga still happens, but now he's like 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by the time Civil War rolls around, he's an old guy. Yeah, there's no so, there's no real solution to make that work because there's it's not. Too much it, mess. Don't don't think about it. Yeah, don't so worry about it. So, again, the very concept of our podcast is beaten by the fact, the number of times that I have to go, don't think about it. It happened here. That's what happened. <laughs> it does make, like, the, when a comic does follow the real timeline, though, yeah. like, kind of neat. Hellblazer did that for 300 issues. Uh, Savage Dragon has mm-hmm. been following a real timeline for... They're not at 300 issues yet because it's one guy doing the whole thing by himself, but it's not even Dragon anymore. It's his son. Right, right. Also, it became a sex comedy for... Dude, Savage Dragon could get its own entire podcast. It would be <laughs> wild. Um, I just want to see more if I think all of these characters used a little bit more. They're all... Mm-hmm. They're all a little bit more interesting than I think most people give them credit for. It's a yeah. fun little this had a lot area. Of too. I like the buddy cop idea. Yeah. <laughs> Manny and Manny. <laughs> or when Manny and Encantu go to Damien Hellstrom. <laughs> Manny's like, don't hurt him, don't hit him. He's like, he's brittle. He's like, I'm not going to hit him. Kicks open the door and just vaporizes him. <laughs> Shows that Morbius does not pay attention to his quote-unquote friends, though, because he's like, he's been dead for 3,000 years, but the whole point is that that's not true. He'll be back. <laughs> he's the going. living mummy. Yeah, he's been alive for 3,000 years. Who was the Hell Lord that we saw that apparently owed Jack a favor? I think that's Satanish. Yep, Satanish. Uh, oh, and that demon with all the eyes was super cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to... I don't know if there was a time in the past that we've seen that Satanish owed Jack a favor. I would have loved to see that. I I wish we had gotten a little more... It's weird. We get the, like... Because, you know, there's kind of the the three areas of monsters in Marvel. There's the hell stuff, the vampire stuff, Everything and the monster else. stuff. Which is how, I mean, we ourselves separated it. Hell and vampire stuff crosses over a lot. Vampire and monster stuff crosses over a lot. I'm surprised that we don't get hell and monster stuff to cross over As more much. often than it does. Because I feel like, you know... Yeah, that's like true. Like, Manny and uh, Damon Hillstrom, Son of Satan, worked really well. Really well. Mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't mind Damien and Morbius being around more often because Damien would just make Morbius's day worse, and I'm always down for that. Same. Yep. I just like Damien. I really love Damien Hellstrom, Son of Satan. <laughs> like, he took the time when Manny is holding Inkontu in the closet to put on his robe and grab his trident. <laughs> so just now I'm here. There. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> he goes and takes care well, of that first. One guy's a mummy who, from what I can tell, has the powers of being a mummy. <laughs> it's Damien. He didn't need either of those things. He's just so extra. He's like, wait. <laughs> when, I mean, he way. might need the trident. He sure seems to use the trident for a lot of his... Maybe a, a power, focus stuff. of power. Stuff, yeah. When he, he kills Inkontu, he's like, okay, get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> How are you gonna pay me? Uh, I take cash. Then why did you ask? <laughs> so good. Cash. <laughs> Cold hard cash. All right, that was fun. It was a good. If you want, if you like these characters, read this book. If you like Dennis Hopeless, read this book and read some of his other stuff because he tends to be quite talented. On a scale of how good it was, it was better than witches. I'm trying to think if we've read something worse than witches. Maybe? Even that Morbius series was better. Well, and yeah, like, like, technically better. <laughs> I found Morbius more contemptible, but it was a better put-together yeah, series. Yeah, like, it was made to be hated, which is fun. That's why it's technically better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Witches is the low. That's the zero. There was something we read that was so bad, but I still think Witches might have been... That's the lowest yeah. I might just be thinking of the three of us yelling about our hatred of the Craven trailer. <laughs> Or the Morbius movie. Or the Morbius movie. That, was pretty that might be, like, mm -hmm. on par with what witches. I think of witches. Yeah. Although, I got to see that cool dance <laughs> that yeah. I have as a meme on my phone forever now. I don't even remember this. What? Matt Smith's <laughs> Matt dance. Smith dance. Oh, when he's yeah, getting okay. ready to go to the nightclub. In fairness, Matt again, Smith's sexy dance. <laughs> yeah. That has the same energy as the Tobey Maguire dance from <laughs> Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Matt Smith might... Push Morbius slightly better than witches. I still stand by my comment of just take Jared Leto out of the Morbius movie and keep Matt Smith in, and we'd have a better Morbius movie. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, oh, God, Matt Smith would have been a better Morbius. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. he would have been fun for once. Anyways, so next time we are going from monsters to the monster hunter, and we will be covering the Bloodstone family, primarily Elsa, but we will cover a little bit of... Uh, Ulysses himself, and probably a little bit of Elsa's annoying kid brother. We will be reading the original, not the original, we will be reading the Bloodstone miniseries from, I think, about 2001. It is the original appearance of Elsa Bloodstone. Uh, if you look up a Bloodstone and it shows a miniseries from the early 2000s that looks like Buffy the Vampire Slayers on the front, that's what you're looking for. And we will be reading one of my all-time favorite comic books, Next Wave, Agents of Hate. Well, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the bi-weekly watching of Rob Zombie's Monsters movie will be coming hey. up soon. Hell yeah. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Byland. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.